I think picking, picking the right spouse, picking the right friend group, really surrounding yourself with people who appreciate you for who you are, all of your, the great things about you and all of the works about you and making you always being there to be, uh, to lift you up when you need it, whether that's your friends, your family, or a coach or um, somebody that is just spiritual leader, whatever. Lisa Ingram is president and CEO of White Castle System Incorporated. Lisa is the fourth Ingram family member to serve as president of the iconic company, the nation's first fast food chain founded in 1921. Lisa is also chair of the White Castle Board of Directors. Lisa's career has been focused on creating value for a family business through strategic planning, revitalization of an iconic brand, balancing team member contribution while delivering on results and injecting innovation into the daily culture. Lisa received her BBA degree from SMU, her MBA from Ohio State University. And in 2004, Lisa was named by Business First for their 40 Under 40 Award. In 2014, Lisa received the Go Beyond Award from the Fisher College of Business at the Ohio State University for her contributions to the community. In 2016, Lisa received the Chart Commitment to People Award and was honored by Columbus CEO Magazine as the 2016 CEO of the Year for large for-profit companies. In 2017, Lisa received the Honorary Eagle Scout Award and the Gold Chain Award. And in 2020, Lisa received YWCA's Woman of Achievement Award. She has also been named by the Restaurant National News as a Power 50 and by Women's Food Service Forum as an industry titan. All right, we're here today. Welcome back to the Gravity Podcast with my friend Lisa Ingram. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brett. It's great to be here. Well, I want to follow our format and start from the very beginning and give uh, the audience a chance to hear uh, maybe a side of you that they don't know. But uh, you're obviously active in the community, hold a uh, high-level position at an important, long-standing company here in Columbus. Um, But let's hear kind of the beginning. Tell us a little bit about kind of your early family dynamics, just kind of what you were like as a child. Love to kind of start to hear a little bit more about your early life. Sure. So I uh, was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. And I, how, what was I? Is it, that's, I think about that as kind of a long time ago to remember mm-hmm. what I was like as a child. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I was pretty active and um, wanted to try a lot of different things. And uh, my parents were, you know, loving and um, always around, but they got divorced when I was 11. So that definitely mm-hmm. had a big impact on me uh, mm-hmm. to have, you know, my world sort of altered dramatically and changed when I was at a pretty young age and have to deal with, you know, going from house to house and um, whose house am I going to and where am I staying and the different dynamics of living with my father, who I, uh, who I lived with time and then visiting my mother. And so that was certainly something that I think was fairly formative for me in terms of um, being independent. And um, my dad's a pretty quiet guy. And so I think a little bit of that rubbed off on me to be more introverted maybe than extroverted, although I'm pretty good at being extrovert when I have to be. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I like to try different things, cheerleading. And I did field hockey and I did diving and I did a lot of sports related things Mm because for me, sports was a good outlet to get to know people and interact with people in a way that um, was comfortable for me. So I tried a lot of different sports. I wasn't very good at any of them, but (laughs) I at least tried them. And cheerleading was really kind of the only thing that stuck with me. So when I was in Mm -hmm. high school, I was a, a high school cheerleader. And I uh, had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, that allowed me to develop my extroversion a little bit more, which I think was helpful for me in terms of um, my future roles that I would hold. Um, I also was... One of the other things that was pretty formative for me was um, in high school, I, I had the opportunity to take this AP American History class, which is not super exciting. But during this time, we actually entered a competition 
that a lot of different schools were doing where we would break into teams and debate about the, the Bill of Rights. And so I got to argue about the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, um, and I had to argue pro and con. And our team did so well that we ended up winning the district and then going and winning the state. And so we ended up going my senior year to, as a class, to Washington, D.C. to compete in this big competition. And I think we came in in the top 10. So that was really, really cool and gave me an opportunity to figure out that I liked arguing (laughs) and (laughs) debating. And so I thought I was going to be a lawyer for a long time. Um, But when I got to college, I realized that I... uh, was much better at math than writing. And so lawyers do a lot of writing. And so I switched gears and mm-hmm. um, went into business. But I, mm-hmm. I actually did pursue, think about getting a law degree for a long time. So, Well, let, let me hop in there and just kind of go back. You know, the first thing that you said was uh, the, the big kind of impactful experience was your parents' divorce. And I think we're uh, similar in age. And my parents were divorced when I was 10. And, you know, I think that today it's become so much more common and for better or worse, you know, it's, it's a lot more kind of figured out. There's a lot more um, kind of structure to it and almost normalcy to the experience um, of uh, getting divorced or having parents that are getting divorced. Not to say that it's, it's easy on young kids, uh, but I think my recollection of that time was that it was quite traumatic and not even, you know, really knowing it at the time, knowing what that meant, but it was uncommon. I wasn't like all my friends' parents were divorced. Um, You know, there was definitely the kind of push-pull for holidays or, you know, whatever else, Um, not having one of your... um, you know, biological parents, in my case, my mother remarried and we had a, a full household. But, um, you know, there was definitely something very impactful about that. And I've kind of learned and seen, you know, even more so, uh, I think, for people in our generation that, that, you know, that really can have a pretty significant impact um, on a child at that age. And so, I don't know, maybe if you want to just kind of get in there a little bit more with me and kind of talk a little bit about it. I know you do a lot of work with kids today. Um, and I don't know how much of, you know, your childhood experience has kind of shaped that work or really shaped you, you know, during those, you know, young formative years. Yeah. I mean, I think that, as you said, um, you know, divorce is more common, unfortunately, today. Um, I think the most important thing for children is to know that they have, you know, at least one, hopefully two, maybe more adults that really care about them and are invested in their development and love them and all those sort of things. But, you know, to go from having those two adults in the same household to, like you said, having to sort of vie for whose house you're going to. And um, I do remember challenges as I got older, particularly, and was in middle school and high school that I wanted to go hang out with my friends and I didn't really want to hang out with my parents, which is totally normal as I have a teenage daughter right now that I know that's totally normal. But that created even more challenges because my my mom had only a certain amount of time. And so she really wanted us to spend it with her. And um, you know, being a, a child who was trying to balance you know, the love of their mother, but also wanting to hang out with their friends. I think when your parents are together, you don't have, there wasn't that much of a pull um, of guilt. And so I felt a lot of guilt for upsetting my mom or frustrating my dad and trying to be with my friends. And um, I think that that was a little bit more pronounced because I had, I was living out of two separate households. And um, so I think that as we get older, we have a better sense of empathy and understanding for how other people might feel because we've had more time maybe to walk in somebody else's shoes. And so um, I think that that with, um, with age comes more wisdom and recognition that the way that you were acting when you were younger may not have been, um, may have been appropriate for the age that you were, but not obviously made the best choices that you could have made. So 
I try to keep that in mind when I think about um, my kids and also when um, you know I'm looking at what organizations I want to get involved in. And um, I definitely have a passion for single moms and how they do it um, and what we can do to help them be successful, not only in their careers, but also in raising their children. Mm-hmm. And so um, I try to spend as much time as I can doing that. But honestly, with four kids of my own, I, um, and right now the age of my kids, I've been, I haven't been spending as much time in my community work as I um, hope to in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that's saying a lot because you're not much time is, is probably more than most people um, <laughs> by a lot. So um, we can come back to that. I am kind of curious and really part of the point of the podcast is to connect these dots. And, you know, I do believe that our lives, you know, can give us this embodied experience that has us really want to do something with it. And usually, you know, you get to a certain point, hopefully, where you want to do something with it for other people, which I know you agree with. Uh, so tell me, um, you're the cheerleader. Uh, that's the thing that sticks of all these sporting um, uh, and, and I don't want to, you know, put words in your mouth, but it, it seems like, you know, probably also an important thing to kind of have in you as you lead an organization like you lead today. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of what was it about cheer? What was it that kind of had you excited about that? How do you see that being connected to just who you naturally are? Sure. So, um, you know, it's funny because people... There are some people that might make fun of cheerleading and say it's not really a sport. I would completely disagree and tell you that you know, if you were a cheerleader, you absolutely know that it is hard work and it is a sport and it is something that um, physically challenges you. But also, more than other sports, is you have to actually engage the audience. That is your role, is to try and engage the audience. And that is a skill that is hard to do. Um, and it is something that requires you to be on and um, to be energetic and motivating and a lot of different skills that actually many leaders use in our organizations today. So as a CEO or um, any leader, you have to figure out how to motivate your team. How do you get them excited about what you're about to accomplish? How do you get them um, how do you help them overcome adversity when you know the team is down, you know, a touchdown or two? And how do you motivate them to stay in the game, to continue to cheer on the team, to continue to think good thoughts and move forward in situations that might be more challenging or that might look like the game is over when it's not really over? And so I think that a lot of those skills, in addition to just the actual skill of you know, projecting your voice, standing up straight, um, being able to um, carry a tune, not carry a tune, but um, carry your voice or get the attention of a room, I think is really important skills that I have found transfer very nicely from cheerleading to leadership in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned your dad was quiet and that maybe, you know, that led you to be more introverted, but yet, you know, I'm kind of imagining you having the kind of courage to be out there and cheering, you know, there's a passion for it. You know, that's not something I would necessarily associate with an introvert, not that you can't have, you know, different parts of yourself that, you know, are, you know, more comfortable in different settings. But I'm just wondering, like, how much of um, that, like being an introvert, do you think is really kind of naturally you or was affected by the environment that you were in and kind of how have you um, kind of landed as an adult, you know, in, in kind of, you know, finding yourself as either more introverted or extroverted or both? Yeah. So, you know, I've taken the Myers-Briggs and my, it used to be extroverted, but as I've gotten older, I, my E and my I have always been very close, but um, my I is more strong because when you think about you know, where, where, where do you get your energy from? A lot of my energy comes from uh, when I'm doing a long run and I'm just thinking and I'm, I'm um, really focused more on what's going on in my head and what, what um, can help motivate me versus 
going out and getting a lot of external motivation. And so that has been something that I think has evolved as I think everybody does. I think, you know, from a leadership standpoint, understanding where you are and what your strengths are and where your energy comes from is really important. It provides a lot of good self-awareness. It allows you to figure out what your strengths are, what your areas of opportunity might be, how you can surround yourself with people who might have different strengths than you do. But I do think that that can change over time. And um, you know, whether that's age or whether that's situational, um, I'm not an expert on that. But I do think that um, having a good understanding of where your energy comes from and what you find joy in and what you get recharged from is really important so that you can tap into that when you need it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what it was like. You know, you have a a business that's a family business. That's what are you are you third generation or fourth? I'm fourth generation. You're fourth generation. There's not many businesses, maybe in the world, um, definitely not in Columbus, that can say there's a fourth generation. Um, and so you grew up in this family business. I mean, this business has been in your life, your whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother grew up in a, um, a family where uh, her father uh, was a Pepsi Cola distributor. And for some reason, I'm like thinking of that as I think about maybe what it was like to be in a kind of a family business like yours. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but but I'm just wondering, you know, in, 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 in her case, it was like really fun. It was like a lot of like fun stuff that was always happening around this, you know, kind of beverage business. And maybe that's why I'm seeing some connection there. But I'm wondering, like, what was it like? Like, What did you know about kind of the role of the business and your family and the community? What was happening? You know, from an early age, when did that start to become part of your awareness? Or was it always that way? And what was it like? So I, I talked about my dad being pretty quiet. So he was pretty quiet on all fronts. So while I knew he was the president um, of Waycastle, we didn't have a lot of interaction as kids with the business. Um, we would go down to the home office. I have lots of memories of going down to the home office and you know the, the way the building looked, the way the building smelled, and walking down the hall and seeing my grandfather there and my father and um, other relatives that work there or spending time with Rosemary, who was the switchboard operator um, when when we would go down there and visit. So I have lots of memories of people of White Castle. But my father really wanted us to find our own passions. And as I said, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And and I knew I wanted to get out of Ohio, honestly. And so I was really set on just doing my own thing. And um, I left Columbus and went to Dallas and uh, went to SMU and studied business in marketing and finance. And then I got a job in the computer industry after that and worked in the computer industry for a while. And um, I really wanted to do that because I wanted to prove more to myself than anybody else that I could get my own job, that I didn't need my family or my family business to um, prove that I could be successful and I could live on my own and survive. And that was really, really important to me. I think that's part of the... um, Part of the independence of being, you know, a divorced kid and a latchkey kid, and um, just really wanting to make sure that I, for my own um, edification, really knew that I had value and I could um, make it on my own. And so I worked in the computer industry. Actually, in college, I worked for John Glenn. Um, so I did a lot of different things to really sort of figure out what my passion was. I did really like business though. And as I said, I I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I entertained that for a little bit too, but really ended up landing on business and strategy and how companies think about branding and marketing and strategy. And so that's really where my focus was. So I worked in the computer industry um, for about five years. And then an opportunity came up at White Castle that was the same job that I was doing in um, Dallas. And the company that I worked for in Dallas actually started out being a private company and it ended up going public. And I got to see that transition, which was really interesting for me in my early 20s to see how that changed the culture of the company. 
And I didn't really like it as much after it went public as I did when it was private. And so I was thinking about leaving anyway, decided that I should figure out whether I wanted to be in the family business. So I came back and um, to the marketing manager job, similar to the job I was doing in Dallas and did that for a couple of years and then still wasn't really sure that's what I wanted to do. And so I left and got my MBA at Ohio State and um, in operations and consulting. And I uh, worked for Hewlett Packard uh, during my internship in Boise, Idaho. So I got to live in Boise for the summer, which was fabulous. And I thought that I, I was, still wasn't sure. I had several offers from consulting firms to go and do that. But when I sat down with my dad to sort of go through all my offers, we talked about me coming back to White Castle and operations, which is the heart and soul of the business. It's really where all the energy is. And I really... I was in marketing, so I got to see that from the outside, but I didn't really have a chance to be in the heart of the business. And so that intrigued me. And so I came back and I've been back 21 years. It's been a great move for me and allowed me really to see all the love of not only our team members, but our customers for you know, a brand that was started by my great-grandfather in 1921 um, with five stools and $700 from the bank. Uh, to see it grow into a brand that's throughout the Midwest with our with our stores and throughout the country with our products in grocery stores is really just something that I'm really really honored to be a part of and be leading. And as you said, you know, many businesses never make it to the fourth generation. I think only about three percent of family businesses make it to a fourth generation. And this year, we actually turned a hundred, which is another major milestone. And so, um, to be leading that kind of company through the fourth generation and hopefully into a fifth generation and to lead them through a hundredth year birthday is really um, a lot of fun and something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, it's amazing, really. And I want to kind of go back and just unpack that because, you know, I also worked in a family business for some time and, um, you know, then went out on my own and had um, experience prior to working in family business. And, you know, the dynamic, I think a lot of the reason that businesses don't make it to fourth generation is because the family dynamic can be very difficult. In fact, you know, sometimes it can tear families apart. Um, Forget about the business. It can really be a challenge. And, you know, I I think that, you know, there's a lot of people like you who um, have that sense of wanting to really have um, proven to somebody, you know, uh, in your case to yourself, which I think is probably the most important person to be proving something to. Um, sometimes it's unconscious, still trying to prove to a parent or to society or whatever, right? In my case, it was probably all of those things. Um, but uh, you know, you had this desire to really prove to yourself that you could do it somewhere else. You could stand on your own two feet. And I wonder just kind of in hindsight, how important that was for you. You know, was it was it what was it what you thought it was? Would you say you know advise somebody in the future that um, you think it is really important to have some experience outside of the family business to really prove to yourself to to have that confidence that you could do it another way, or do you think that it's overrated and that you know just get in and start to. Uh, you know, learn it as soon as possible and embrace that you have a family business that you could go. I could see, you know, either way. And I'm just curious, you know, what your experience is now that you've gone through it. Sure. So we actually have talked about this as a family. And we actually have, um, we created, I don't know, about 10 or 15 years ago, a family employment policy that states that you will work outside of the family business um, for at least five years. And the reason that we feel that that is so important is because just from my own personal experience, I, when I came to the family business, I was coming here knowing that I could go get a job someplace else, that I had the opportunity to make a living doing something else. But I wanted to be at White Castle because it's a, good, it's a great place to work, which we just, got a, just got certified as a great place to work this year, which we're really excited about. Um, and I wanted to make a difference. And that really, I think, is the critical point for family businesses is not looking at it as um, a expectation that you go into the family business or that that's the only path that you can take. Because 
family businesses are, should be you know, about the business first because it's not just the family. You also have many other team members. So we have 10,000 team members that rely on White Castle to make the right decisions for themselves and their families and um, provide them opportunities to uh, have a job and grow and hopefully have a career, which we're really proud that we have so many team members that have worked for us for 25, 30, even 40 years. And so the, the, the successfulness of the business is the most important thing. The fact that we have family that works here is an added bonus and it's wonderful. And I love working in family business and I would um, encourage anybody to have an opportunity to work in a family business because I think as a culture, we are different and we have different values that resonate with a lot of people and um, allow us to be successful through our first hundred years and hopefully our second hundred years. But I do think it's really important for family members to go outside and really find what their passion is. And that may be in maybe being a teacher or being a doctor or um, being a mechanic, whatever it is, you know, you, you spend so much time at work, you really want to enjoy it. And if you're at a family business, just because it's your family business, but you don't love it, you're going to be miserable and you're not going to be a, a value to the family business and all the team members that rely on the family business for their livelihood. And so we really feel as a family that's important that our family members have outside experience so that they have an opportunity to find what their passion is. And if, it's, if it is in business and it ends up leading them back to White Castle, that's great. Um, but I'll tell you another story. So when I was working at Daisy Tech, which is the company that I worked for after college, I made a mistake. And I had to go and tell my boss about this mistake. And I really thought I was going to get fired because it was big, it was a big mistake. I, I don't know that as family members, we would have, I would have felt that same worry of having to walk into my boss and tell them that um, I made a mistake and that I was going to get fired. And I think that's important for everybody to understand and feel, um, you know, how, how do you have an opportunity to look at different leadership styles? How do you have an opportunity to look at different cultures and what fits for you and what does it doesn't and what leadership styles you want to emulate and what leadership styles you don't. And I think that you learn a lot of that outside of the family business. And then if you have an opportunity and you have a, and a desire to bring that to the family business, I think that's great. Uh, we have nine family members that work in the business and it's spectacular. It's wonderful to be able to work with family, but there are a lot of challenges in family businesses. But I think a lot of that, I'm going around around, but I think a lot of that can be prevented if they do the right things and have the right conversations to allow everybody um, opportunity to be in spots that um, meet up their their natural strengths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do want to come back to that, um, the challenges piece and kind of how you guys have solved for that because to have nine family members um, is uh, no small um, task. And, you know, I, but I want to kind of come back and just highlight something you said about kind of what you uh, learned you didn't like, um, you know, the mistakes that you made and how, mm -hmm. how those were handled, um, you know, kind of um, for me, the, the, that was the best part of working outside of a family business on my own was the fear of having to, um, you know, make sure I was doing a good job, the um, uh, worries about, you know, whether or not I was going to keep my job. Um, mm -hmm. There were times where I thought maybe I was getting fired, you know, mostly learning what I did not like. You know, I learned so much about what I didn't like that um, I, that, that really, you know, sticks with me still to this day. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just I was highlighting, you know, this, like what you can really learn about what you don't like and just how important it is to really know that and not know it kind of conceptually or, you know, think it, but to have experienced it. That, you know, experienced piece, I think, is really something that, you know, you can't get anywhere else. Uh, and and maybe that is the best reason to uh, you know have that time away from your family. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, I think in all the different jobs that I've had, whether that was waiting tables in college or working for John Glenn or 
working at Daisy Dick or working for an insurance salesman, you learn a lot about what things really excite you and give you energy. And there are lots of things that I found really boring and um, mundane. And I knew that I didn't want to do that. I think you also figure out what your strengths are. So I talked about I wanted to be a lawyer and I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was five. When I got to college and I actually took a law class, it was my favorite class. But I had to work so incredibly hard when I would write my papers. I would spend like a week writing my papers and I would get like a B minus on it. And so that was really frustrating to me versus when I would take my marketing classes or my finance classes. I still had to work hard, but I got better grades and I got grades that I was proud of. And so it's not only trying stuff and figuring out what you do and what you don't like, but also um, recognizing what you're naturally better at um, and what you're not, and hopefully steering you in a direction where you're going to spend more time doing the things that you're naturally better at than the things that you're not. And so um, a lot of that, I think, is, is important. And you get experiences from all of that through school and through different jobs that you have. I've, you know, My daughter just got a job working um, at a restaurant. And um, I, I say everybody should work in hospitality because... You learn a whole bunch of different skills on multitasking, customer service, um, you know, being on your feet all day, all of those types of things. And you learn, you can take those skills and you can take them into any job anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good to have those experiences so that you can figure out what things really give you energy and what things um, may not be what you want to spend eight hours a day doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a busboy at Lindy's um, mm-hmm. in college and... Um, best and worst job I ever had, yeah. you know, for that reason. I yeah. agree with you. I think, you know, manual labor and um and and service industry, hospitality, you know, I, I mean, I just never look at anybody in that field uh the same after, you know, and I was always taught, you know, to be respectful and appreciative and, you know, kind. But when you do the job again, the experience of carrying that tray you know, um, and having people, you know, be shitty to you. And, you know, I had yeah. a boss that was um, mentally unstable and, you know, I just, I mean, I, I ate such profound learning um, by being out there in the field and really, you know, seeing what that's like through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so, one of the things, so just to yeah. hit another point on that. So one of the things that we actually do at White Castle is May is National Hamburger Month. We actually have everybody in the home office go out and work in a castle or or in a plant for that for that exact reason, so that they all have an appreciation for how hard our frontline team members work. And that is something that it, there should be more of. You know, when we opened our castle in Orlando um, in May of this year, I was out on the grill for hours and hours and hours making hamburgers, and my dad came for the opening too. And he was out there boxing. And um, my stepmom, Marcy, she was out in the drive-thru. My husband was out in the drive-thru interacting with customers. And so, you know, putting yourself in the frontline um, environment is really, really important because those jobs are so critically important to the organization in any organization. And to show the kind of appreciation and respect to those positions, I think is really, really critical for any leader. Um, And so I, I totally agree with you on your point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell me, and and we can kind of move past the family business thing, but I am curious, and I do think it's really an important part of your life and your family's um, generational this business. I mean, it's it's you know incredible, really. I think it's a phenomenal success story that you've had generations for, and I don't know how many family members over four generations have worked for the company. If there's nine there now, I mean, it's 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 a lot, right? I mean, it's a mm-hmm. big number. Um, and and you've been there. Did you say twenty one years? Twenty one years, yeah. But so, yeah, I split service, so yeah, twenty one years this time. <laughs> Okay. And, and so you um, have been in your current role for how long? I have been president since 2013 and um, CEO since 2016 and chair since 2021. So, okay. So, so uh, you've been in your kind of, you know, role uh, or at this kind of senior level for a number of years. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, maybe it's just because I just got done watching Succession in um, in uh, quarantine. <laughs> but I've heard I'm that's just, very good. I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's good. <laughs> uh, it's it's entertaining. They're not really. Uh, they're like the opposite of what I'm imagining your family to be. Right, pretty right. dysfunctional. Like <laughs> yes, it's they're 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 not exactly um, wonderful people, but um, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, but I'm wondering, you know, it can't be all easy. You said challenges, um, you know, you guys have managed through it. And I'm wondering, you know, if you can speak a little to the challenge of the family dynamics and how you've managed through it. You know, there are others out there and I know this is like a very common thing. The family business dynamics can be very challenging and people are trying to find different ways to make it work, to get through it, to make it great like you guys have. So talk a little bit more about that. Sure. So I think that one of the most important things for our success is that we have tried to be as open and transparent as possible. And that's really hard to do in family businesses. But we have had a third-party advisor, family business advisor, help us, which I think has been really, really critical. So we, every year, have a family meeting where we bring all the family together. And we talk about the business. And we talk about the family. And we talk about um, anything else that we want to share. And that allows everybody to be grounded in the same information and um, spend common time together um, building relationships and building bonds. And we've been doing that for a really long time. And I think that that's been a critical part of our success. The other thing that a lot of family businesses really struggle with is succession planning. And so um, a lot of people ask me, how how was I chosen to pick for this job? And it's a pretty interesting story. So the third generation, so my dad and his sisters pulled all the fourth generation into a room. And I don't, I don't know when this was made. This was 15 years ago. And said, um, you know, whoever has an interest in being considered for uh, president, we would like to know and we're going to put you through a process. And so there were three of us that raised our hands, myself and my two um, male cousins who had, had actually been at the business longer than me. And the three of us, went through a 360 process. So we had 360 feedback from people in the company, um, the family, et cetera. And the three of us processed that with our family business advisor, talked about what things we were going to work on, what things um, we were good at. And the three of us sat down in a room and really hashed out why we thought each of us um, should be in whatever role we um, aspired to. and. Even though all three of us wanted to be president, we collectively decided that my skill set, focusing on strategy, branding, being the face of the company, was a better fit for my skill set. My other cousin, who was a teacher, is now our chief people officer, and he's really good at cult- he's so good at culture, and um, in ways that I am not at all good at culture. And so he is in a spot that is perfect for his skill set. My other cousin grew up in construction and he is now our chief manufacturing officer. And again, really fits his skill set and is a tremendous value to the organization. By the three of us collectively sort of hashing it out and talking amongst ourselves, we were able to come up with a plan to present to the third generation that I should be president and that they should be in their roles. And they are an integral part of my team. They're on my executive team. So they're still involved in the major decisions that the company makes. But ultimately, I, if I have to, I have to make um, the decision, but at least they're at the table. And so creating a dynamic where the family feels like they're in roles that really go to their strengths, but also in a way that they can give input to the major decisions of the company, I think has helped make us successful. A lot of people ask about our board as well. So we actually have um, a board of directors that's a fiduciary board. That's We have four independent directors and two family members, myself and another um, family member who represents the family on the board. And that seat has always been a family seat and will always, will, always will be a family seat. But most of our directors are independent directors from the company. They're local business leaders that um, are amazing people and um, 
really provide a great uh, set of ears and experiences to our board and our executive team as we think about different challenges that the company may face. And so running the business like a business, like a true business, I think has helped us be successful in creating an environment where the family members come here because they add tremendous value and um, they're not just here to collect a paycheck, which sometimes can be the case in family businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's great. And uh, I'm just curious before we move on, have you, I mean, and you're probably too young to be uh, seriously thinking about this, but how will you do the same thing for the next generation? Is that kind of how this um, is now baked into the business? Yeah, so our fifth generation, um, there's... There's like 25 of them, um, and they raise, range in age from seven to 30, I think. And so we uh, we do several things with this generation. So at the family meeting, the sixth generation is there, and they have their own separate programming. If they're old enough, they will sit in the family meeting, so they'll hear about the business and what's going on, and hear presentations from the management team, et cetera, get to ask questions, et cetera, et cetera. And they also have their own advisor that will talk to them about what is what the importance of being an owner and what does that mean and how should they think about that, all of those different types of things. This year, we actually started a internship for the fifth generation in the summer for those that were in high school um, or college and allowed them to come in and work in the business. And that was very well received by the fifth generation. So we're planning to do that again to give them opportunities to get involved in the business and see what um, what an opportunity of working at the business might look like. And for them to also figure out, you know, just like we talked about earlier, what do they like? What do they don't like? And maybe they figure out after working in the business that they don't really like the business. And that's fine. Then they can go and pursue their passion elsewhere. Um, but it'll give them an opportunity if after they've worked their five years someplace else, they think they might want to come back to the business, at least having an idea of what different departments um, might do that might be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Really interesting. I figured you guys had put a lot of thought into that already, knowing now that there's 25 of them. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to start early and plan ahead. And right. it will be interesting to see kind of, you know, how many choose to opt out and do mm-hmm. their own things and and who's left and how you make that transition, you know, which again is probably not something happens anytime soon. Hopefully you're Hopefully still... Not. Yeah. Kicking ass where you are. So tell me a little bit. Yeah. Tell me though, you know, about being in this job now. I mean, you are a mother to four children. You do uh, run long distance and, and have all these passions and hobbies and, and do a lot of work in the community. You know, tell me a little bit about kind of that, you know, the, the challenge, the, the kind of, I don't know, ups and downs of being able to wear all these hats? Um, I think the biggest challenge for me right now is, is really um, prioritization. Because I feel like in my role, I should be, should be a good leader. I should be a good mom. I, need, I should be a good wife. And I should be a community, good community advocate. And I have realized as my kids have gotten older, um, when they were younger, it was actually easier to be involved in the community because I knew where my kids were going to be. I you know, had control over their schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as my kids have gotten older, they have their own lives and they have their own friends and want to do their own things. And so my time to be able to spend with them is more limited. So I've actually cut back on my community involvement, which makes me feel guilty, honestly, that I'm not doing as much as I should be doing. But uh, the stage that my kids are at, I know that that's a, a short window and there will be time hopefully for me to get back involved more in the community and make a bigger impact there than I am feel like I'm currently doing. So I think the biggest challenge for me is just really prioritization. And I think that changes based on your situation with your children and with your job needs. You know, Sometimes the business last year during the pandemic, I'm spending a lot of time on work because you know, it, every day was a new challenge and trying to figure out how we're going to deal with this regulation in this state and this regulation in this state, et cetera, et cetera. And so you kind of just have to ebb and flow between those different 
big rocks that um, people talk about and um, making sure that you're, you have a very clear prioritization in your own mind of what are the most important things to you. And, you know, my family is a number one priority followed very closely by my business, followed very closely by my health. And I want to spend as much time as I can staying active so that I can continue to do the things that I love to do at some point, hopefully when I'm able to retire. I still want to be able to run. I still want to be able to bike and hike and play tennis and all of those things. So it's important to me for my uh, sanity now to stay in shape, um, but also for my long-term ability to be able to enjoy my life at some point when I'm able to retire. Yeah, I know we both have had some experience with Chet Scott and built a lead. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chet had kind of um, early on instilled the definition of balance that he subscribes to, which is not being kind of all perfectly, you know, parsed out, but to just not stay too far in one direction for too long. And right. so sometimes it requires you to be a little more in on your work or a little more in on your family, or, you know, there will be a time to be more in on the community. And I think that, you know, you said something about kind of the should be's, you know, that, that, that to me is a, a big um, problem that we all have to grapple with, that we feel like we should be something for somebody, right? And um, like you said, it's really priorities because you can't be everything for everybody and also be there for yourself. And and if you're not there for yourself, then you're not going to be able to show up for everybody else. Um, you know, at some point, there's a a limit to how much you can just give yourself away. And I do, you know, know that you spend time, you know, that the running, you know, is something that is fueling you, you know, Mm -hmm. might take a lot of energy, but you're getting a lot out of that. I also um, like to run and I know you like to ski and um, get out in nature and, you know, uh, boy, it's just, it's so important if you're going to be able to give as much as you do to have that self-care you know, maybe you could just elaborate a little bit on on kind of how you've managed, whether it be through coaching or exercise or any other modalities that give you that kind of energy. Sure. Yeah, it was actually Chet Scott told me that I uh, I should on myself too much. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, I definitely remember that from him. So yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody needs to find what helps give them their peace and their inner strength. And for me, exercise is definitely um, the most important thing for me. So running or cycling has been a big part of my focus. And um, it has really helped me make sure that I am level-headed and grounded and able to um, face the day. I think getting enough sleep is another big thing for me. Um, and that's been something that I focus on and have been more challenged with probably recently as my kids get older and want to stay up later and, uh, waiting up for them, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's, again, I think self-awareness is the most important thing, understanding what you need physically, what you need mentally, what you need emotionally, all of those, um, that, that awareness is really helpful for you as a person, for you as for me as a wife, um, for me as a mother, for me as a leader. And I think whether that's using a coach or going to seminars or going to an immersive place that really helps you um, find your center, yoga or whatever that is, is really important for everybody to find. And those things take up time because we we only have a certain amount of time. We only have 24 hours in a day. And so you have to decide what is more important and everybody has to make those different choices. So for me, you know, the community and I would say friendships, like I don't, I have good female friends, but I don't spend a lot of time with them right now. I'm looking forward to, you know, the day when I can, I have more energy and more time to spend with them. Fortunately, they, they know me and love me for who I am and know that um, the stage in my life that I'm at and um, so I have no worries that they won't be there when uh, when I have more time. So you know, I think picking picking the right spouse, picking the right friend group, really surrounding yourself with people who appreciate you for who you are, all of your the great things about you, and all of the worths about you, and 
making you always being there to be uh, to lift you up when you need it, whether that's your friends, your family, or a coach or um, somebody that is just spiritual leader, whatever. Well said. Well, Lisa, thank you. This has been great. Give you a chance for kind of any final thoughts, anything that you want to share with the audience, anything that's kind of important to you or anything else that just comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just I would just reiterate the last point about sort of understanding who you are and being comfortable with who you are. Um, you know, Chet said I shouldn't shit on myself. I also believe, especially for women, we we have the challenges of always thinking that we need to be there for everybody else. And um, we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first because, you know, the whole airline thing about, you know, put your own mask on first before helping others. We need to make sure that we are doing the things that help keep us in a, in a good place so that we can help those around us that we love and that we want to um, be sure that we're there for. And I think as women, because of you know wanting to take care of children and all that other stuff, not as um, not to say that men don't have this same desire, but when my husband and I talk about our need to um, uh, interact with our kids and and be there for our kids, we we have different views on that. So I'm taking that from my own experience that as a as a mom, I I think I want to be there for things more, um, and so I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself so that I can do that for them and mm-hmm. for my team members and for um, the community at some point. So mm-hmm. I, would just, I would just urge everybody to make sure that they're taking care of themselves and really understand what it is they need and what gives them energy. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to kind of add to that, it's not a straight line. There's not a one answer. It can be mm-hmm. a little messy and trying to figure that out and give yourself the kind of grace and, you know, um, room to not get it perfect, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, and I think maybe there's, you know, truth, you know, all around in that, like, our kids are actually going to be okay because we're thinking about this to begin with, right? But we right. really want to get it right because we really care. And, right. you know, there's, we're probably doing better than we sometimes, you know, give ourselves credit for. So, when you think about like how independent we were as a generation, I think, I think they're going to be fine. I think our kids yeah. will be fine. I do too. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your story. I think you're a wonderful role model for a lot of people. Um, you're probably too humble to accept that um, language, but I think you are. I think you're leading very strongly, um, you know, and uh, leading on many fronts. And people really do look at you in this community as somebody who is really showing up you know, as uh, a role model. So thanks for, for that and for taking the time to share yourself on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Brett. It was good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for the Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.